Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Deeker. And I'm Rebecca Hines. And as always, today we have one of Lisa's good friends. <laughs> well, I think we have a legend and a legacy in our field. We do, somebody... but she says that everyone is her good friend every time we invite <laughs> someone on. But this... Uh, Today's guest really is. It really is, and that's uh, our dear friend and, and really mentor and role model in our field, Kathy Key. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathy. It is my pleasure. Well, we're Lisa. excited to have you. So, so for those of you who don't have the privilege of knowing Kathy, she's a professor at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University and has just been a leader in our field for diversity and teacher preparation. So thank you again. So I'm going to start with the first question we've been asking. You know, it's the 100th anniversary of CC, and I would love for you just to reflect on your beautiful, rich career. And what are you most proud of that you feel like has made an impact in the field to this point? Oh, that is a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) And not an easy one, we know. (laughs) However, what I would say, as you already know, the past 30 years I have spent my career developing culturally responsive educators. And most recently, and when I say recently, the past five years, I have focused on retaining special education teachers of color in the field during their induction years. Hmm. When I think about the impact, it has been an incredible journey because not much was known 30 years ago about being a culturally responsive educator, let alone what were the skill sets and tenets that were needed to produce this culturally responsive person. And I can tell you, um, Drs. Deeker and Hines, that it's been a learning curve. Mm -hmm. You know, we sort of felt our way through the process um, on what we would have wanted someone to do with us when we were a student in a classroom. Um, When I think about our BIPOC, all these new terms today um, has helped me to grow in a different (laughs) way too. Um, But our BIPOC population that we serve, how do we produce culturally responsive sustaining educators to meet their needs? To meet the needs not only of the students or learners, um, their families, and the communities which they dwell. So my, I would say my legacy to fame would be that I have produced some incredible culturally responsive educators. And I'm hoping that they're going to continue this journey and be change makers. And I believe they will because the both of you have been impactful in their lives as well. <laughs> Those that have gone on into their doctoral programs. <laughs> well, and I know that they respect and adore everything you've taught them. So we thank you for building some amazing educators in our field. So thank you for that. Definitely. <laughs> and, and speaking of educators in our field, you mentioned teacher induction and these new teachers coming out. And how, how do we keep... All teachers, you know, in the classroom, how do we, how do we make this more uh, meaningful for them? When you think about culturally responsive teachers, what types of tips would you give to every young teacher, new teacher, or just teacher who's struggling with this concept? What are some ways to start thinking about what they can be doing differently? Well, 
know, when my pre-service teachers leave me, I want to ensure that they know the name, the face, and the stories of the students that they serve. Mm -hmm. But how do we accomplish that? I have begun to use, utilize the work of um, Socara um, Herrera, whose work with English learners speaks volumes by developing a biography-driven, culturally sustaining pedagogy. Well, how do we operationalize that? Simply creating a biography um, for the learner, a biography of the family, a biography of the community in which they dwell. I say if you want to know the names, the faces, and the stories of the students that you're serving, that it is critical that you begin to ask yourselves, how do I find culture in my classroom? Well, what does that mean? That means taking a look at everyone that is being served with and without disabilities in your classroom. Looking at them through a cultural lens, gender-wise, ethnicity, race, and ability-wise. So we are really asking ourselves, who are we serving along the spectrum? From our AL learners to our learners who are on the autism spectrum. What do they need and how can we provide that? But we have to take a look at their biography. What does each of those learners bring to our table? And what do the families bring through a strengths and asset-based lens? And lastly, if we were to take a community walk and experience or examine their lived experiences, how can we utilize that information in the teaching learning process? Those would be the first tips that I would give. You must know the names. You must know the faces. And you must know the stories of the students you're serving. We somewhat couch that into building relationships. <laughs> that seemed, oh my, that's very simple. But the process that I've just explained is not simple at all. It really takes intentional steps and learning. Absolutely. And we train pre-service teachers to introduce themselves to their students. And it's odd that we don't always take the same time to encourage them to learn about their students as well. Yeah, and you know, I loved what you said about, you know, knowing their families. Because I think oftentimes when you meet a child, you make unexpected assumptions that there's two of something or there's an educated and uneducated and and what we know from the beautiful richness of children with disabilities is all things are possible and and that's true for all of the students so i'm curious too if i'm a new teacher and i don't have easy access to families either they don't come to a conference or how do you recommend they reach out um, or understand that story when maybe, you know, parents too busy or parents overwhelm themselves. Got any quick tips for teachers in that regard from your great cultural lens? Absolutely. So we know from the literature 
We know from the stories of our pre-service teachers that there are two groups that they seemingly have challenges with. Mm-hmm. That would be their administrative support and working with families. Mm-hmm. And so we say to them, you cannot write off a family because they didn't respond to your email or your phone call, but rather you might want to begin to think, how do I access that family? How do I work with that family? And how can I be a change maker? We like to encourage a couple of things. One, and this is very practitioner-based, one, not only in your field experiences, but particularly in their clinical one and clinical two internships, that they now begin to interview the ancillary personnel What are the roles and responsibilities of the social worker, Mm -hmm. the school counselor, and all the others that you really do need to collaborate and interact with? Now, let's take that to another level. In clinical two, we need you to accompany the social worker Mm -hmm. and or the school counselor on a home visit Mm -hmm. because that in itself debunks a lot of the myths It also diminishes the level of fear um, that our pre-service candidates may have. And even our practicing teachers uh, may be reticent about um, visiting a home setting. I believe, and we are encouraging our candidates, that you enter into that home with a positive, cultural lens and leave that deficit mindset at the doorstep. And when you quickly just peer around and look at the surroundings, begin to ask yourself, how can I share and show the parent what they have is really all they need to teach their child the skills, many of those skills and concepts that I am teaching in the classroom. So if we have time, let me share a story with you. Absolutely. So many folks don't know that I started out um, when I finished my undergraduate degree in elementary education at North Carolina Central. I went on to the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. I was an early childhood special ed home trainer. I was trained via the Portage Project. No one even knows what that is today. (laughs) But I had families in, I had 14 families in, I would say, five school districts. And as an early childhood special ed home trainer, my job was to um, enter into the home and work with those parents, teach, well, assess the child's needs and assess um, the family's surroundings and to begin to share with them how to teach their child from birth to five years of age, who also had a disability, to accompany those parents on all of their doctor's visits. Well, they had never, all of my parents, none of them had ever met an African American. Mm -hmm. 
let alone had a conversation with one. Mm-hmm. Now, I was at a disadvantage too. I didn't know anything about dairy farmers mm-hmm. and crops. And so I had to become culturally responsive. That means I had to learn about their cultural milieu. And I did so. When I entered into the homes, I was able to engage in small chit-chat about the crops, dairy farming, Mm -hmm. and what have you. So immediately, those families looked at me as if, you took the time to learn about me, us, and our surroundings. I would assess the student, and then I would share with one parent, both parents, multi-generational family members, how they could use items in the homes. We will take these utensils. We will count them. Dad, you love to fish. We will take these hooks. We will sort them with the different color tassels. Dad, you will take them down in the pastures and have them counting the cows. We want to involve everyone. But if we don't look at the home environment, as one of strength and asset. Grandmother, you go to church. Let's take that church bulletin. Let's have John circle all the B's, all the M's. We want everyone involved in the teaching and learning process. Rather than stating that this is an impoverished setting or that they don't have the children's books. Let's ask ourselves, what is literacy rich in this environment? There are quilts. We can choose and talk about patterning. So that is hard to do with our pre-service educators. That is hard to do with those who are practicing because they haven't been taught how to enter into that environment and look for the gifts that exists. And I, and I think that your story is, is such a great one and so timely because there's such misperceptions, I think, about this idea of cultural responsiveness and what it really means. So thank you for sharing such an articulate ex- explanation and example. So my last just quick thought, give us a quick thought. What, where should we be in the future? What do you see? What, what, what's the thing that you're like, if this happens, it would make me? Oh, my. I'm a dreamer. I know. That's <laughs> why I ask you. And in the next 10 years, because I think this journey is going to take us 10 years, that is, if we're all on board. And that is when any learner enters our classroom. We use the terminology BIPOC. We are now really being more intentional about diversity, equity, and inclusion. That the terms intentional don't exist anymore because it is automatic. That we embrace the learner, their families, and their communities without blinking an eye, and we move forward in giving them what they need. Um, 
without reticence. Um, that's, that's really being a dreamer because we have so many social issues to conquer in the next 10 years. But we have such great minds that I believe we can move um, these mountains that exist today. Um, that's my dream. I love it. I'm going to borrow your term, automatic acceptance. How's that? You may borrow it. Because <laughs> I thought that was a great word. I was like, automatic. I love that. Not yeah. intentionality, but yeah. automatic. So Automaticity. Right. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Key. We really appreciate you being with us and sharing your vision and journey. I was going to talk on and on and on. We love can, it. Which I can do. No, you're amazing. Well, if you have oh, questions for you. us, please send us a tweet yeah. at Access Practical or send us a question on our Facebook page. Thank you again, Dr. You Key. You two are thank you, awesome. Oh, thank That's you. It's great to see you. <laughs> thank you. It's a pleasure.